Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Anybody else find that curious? Of all the statements from the cross, to me it's the oddest. It's the one that's most out of place. I don't get it. I mean, Jesus is so upbeat on the cross, isn't he? In spite of all the suffering, in spite of all the pain, the anguish, he says all kinds of nice things. Concern for others. Full of hope. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He even absolves them of their motives. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Ah, what hope. Woman, behold your son. Ah, taking care of mom. I thirst. Give me something that I can wet my lips with so that I can proclaim these last two things. It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Where do you get, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It seems like this is the orphan child of the seven things that Jesus says from the cross. It does not fit neatly into the others. Three of the statements are kind and compassionate. Two are about his mission. One about his physical need. Then this one, it's sharp, isn't it? Accusatory, doubtful, anguished, disappointed. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why does he utter this? Is it like the cross was some kind of surprise to him? Certainly that's not our theology, is it? I mean, he knew that this was coming. He had prepared his life to do this one particular event. He'd had his time of questioning God in the garden just 24 hours earlier. He had been telling his disciples and his followers that he was going to Jerusalem and that this was going to happen and all these events would take place. And it's not like he's never had hardship. It's not like he's never gone through some kind of deep suffering before and remained positive, remained confident, remained faithful. After all, that the temptation with the Satan in the wilderness, I mean, he'd been 40 days without food. That'll make you a little edgy. Come on, how grumpy do you get when you haven't had a meal? He's gone for a month with nothing. Does he cry out, say, why are you doing this, God? What's the problem? Can't you do something about this? There has to be a different way. No. Confronts the devil at every turn with a positive statement about faith and belief and trust in God. So why at the cross, something that he expected and knew, does his expression suddenly change? Oh, I know. Here in the great halls of Asbury, among such scholars and brilliant students, you all know that he's quoting scripture, correct? Correct? Thank you. Thank you. I was a little scared there for a moment for the Bible department, so I just trying to help. This is the 22nd Psalm, isn't it? So he's quoting scripture. And how many sermons have you heard on this on Good Friday where somebody stood up and said, you know, you need to put scripture in your heart so you can quote it just at the right moment. So here's my question. 
Why this text? If he had the whole of Scripture to choose from, why one that says this, this way? My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? I have one more confusion. It has to do with timing. I don't know about you, but I think timing can be important. And it certainly is in this text, because the text says in the 33rd verse that at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And then it says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why? You see, I always thought that the reason that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why, was because the sin of the world had been placed upon him. And God turned his back on him. And so he's crying out because he no longer has fellowship with the Father. And that has made sense to me for all of my years. <laughs> Until I saw that he does not cry this in the middle of the darkness. He does not even cry this when the sin of the world has been placed upon him and darkness has come over the land. No, the three hours are up. He's about to say, it is finished. It's done. Why now? Why at the end? When the darkness has finally subsided, why then does he cry out, my God, my God, why? It is the most curious of all the seven statements Jesus makes from the cross. But if I might, let me suggest that it's not the cry that we misunderstand. It's the psalm that he quotes that we misunderstand. We don't understand the 22nd Psalm because we read the first verse of the 22nd Psalm and there it is. It's right there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. Ah, I got it. Jesus is upset. Here's the problem. There is an incredibly important word in the next verse of the psalm a word that is often neglected by pastors and preachers and those who read the word, and it is a divine word, and it is a word that makes all the difference in the 22nd Psalm and changes the way that I perceive what Jesus does on the cross because the next verse begins with that grand and holy and magnificent word, yet. In spite of, yet. In spite of the problems, in spite of the sense, in spite of what this may all look like, yet you, O oh God, are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. This is not a psalm of lament. This is not a psalm of sorrow. What Jesus is quoting is a psalm of victory and a psalm of triumph. You are enthroned as the Holy One. In, your father, in our Father's in you our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. I am a worm 
Not a man scorned by men, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Oh my, here comes. Yet, ah, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast into you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. A band of evil men has encircled me. They pierced my hands. My feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. Cast lots for my clothing. Yet... O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Trust me when Jesus cries out and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's not questioning God. It's a statement of triumph. For there is nowhere else to gain my help except in God. And while I may look abandoned, and while I may look alone, and while I may look like I am being crucified here for no reason at all, this is God's plan. I submit myself to it, and yet God is enthroned in the praise of his people. It's a psalm not of lament. It's a psalm of triumph. It's a psalm of hope. It's a psalm of deliverance. And it expresses exactly what God is doing on the cross through Christ himself. Is this the orphan child of his statements? No. It fits right in with it is finished and father into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is his statement of triumph in the midst of evil. This should inform us when we come to the table. It is this kind of idea that should determine for us the kind of approach we give to the table. Because when we come to the table, it is common for us, normative, if you will, to realize that this is about forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus broke the bread, that which entertains his own body. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. This eschatological joy that salvation is not just momentary, but eternal. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. The joy of being placed in a family. Not just a physical family, but this spiritual family that we have gone joined together. I thirst so that we may take from Jesus' own blood this nourishment which relieves the parchedness of our souls. 
and allows us instead to drink him in and to share him with one another and to rise from having taken communion and to walk back to our seats to say, it is finished. God has accomplished things in my life. And while he is not yet finished, I go back to my seat having taken communion because I have placed my life in the Father's hands. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But today, and maybe as we go forward, maybe we also should remember the triumph of Psalm 22 that in spite of what pain or anguish we may be going through, in spite of what trouble or difficulty, in spite of what people do to mock us or complain or shun us, in spite of family or friends that do not understand why it is we are here doing what it is we are doing, that in spite of all of that, yet, (laughs) yet, I believe that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. This is why we take communion. To receive his blood, to receive his body, and to be triumphant because God, through Jesus Christ on the cross, has made it so.